0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 128 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting for nearly 30 years. This week, we recap on some smart goals I set last year, we look at some mistakes that you may be making when metal detecting, and we have a question for the detector. So, let's get on with the show. Happy New Year and a happy Christmas to everybody. I hope you had a great holiday season. But it's the new year and it's time to get back at it. So let's address the elephant in the room, first of all. Yes, here I am. I'm on video. If you're listening on your phone via iTunes or Spotify, you can and have the opportunity to go over to YouTube and see me in full Technicolor detail. Yes, the podcast has gone video. So not only am I recording audio every week, we're also going to do some video. So I'm really excited for this new chapter in the podcast. Let's see what happens if you subscribe to the podcast on your app. I really appreciate it if you go over and like and subscribe on YouTube. You just have to search up the Metal Detecting Show podcast. You'll see my ugly mush in the thumbnail there. If this is your first time seeing me on YouTube, let me take at least one minute to explain the concept of the podcast. So this is a zero waffle straight to the point podcast i don't spend two three hours chatting making small talk with other detectorists i pick a topic every week and i take it from a beginner's point of view and try and layer in some advanced topics as i learn them also i am by no means an expert i have been metal detecting for the last 30 years however i would have to say i've been metal detecting for the last 30 years 25 of which have been very badly So it's only in the last five years I've tried to focus and double down on what I've been trying to do as a metal detectorist. So I figured as an old dog, if I'm learning some new stuff, it would be wise and it might be beneficial to you guys as well. If I share it, like I said, each episode is short and sweet, straight to the point with zero waffle. So don't expect a two, three hour long episode, unless, of course, I'm interviewing somebody. Then they tend to go a little bit longer. But Let's get back on topic. Actually, let's go back to this time last year. Insert wavy lines here, where exactly to this week last year, we talked about setting some smart goals as a metal detectorist for 2022. My smart goals were do more interviews. I was aiming for 10. I think I got five. Do more product reviews. I was aiming for five. I think I got two. Finish that book. I started writing in 2021, the children's book. Do more stuff on YouTube and try to double the number of listeners on the podcast from a thousand to two thousand. If you're a long-time listener to the podcast, you know, I took a hiatus of a, about three months in the middle of the year for some career development stuff. But I think taking that into consideration, I've done pretty well. We have doubled up the number of listeners on the podcast. If you consider taking away those three months and accumulating what we have on YouTube, iTunes, across the apps. So we're looking okay. Of course, I did also make a smart goal of saying I was going to get out and hunt 50 times last year. I think I got out about 25 times. (laughs) So listen, let's just park those goals for last year. (laughs) Let's just rewrap them up and present them again for this year so i'm going to go with the same goals again this year my 2023 smart goals will be the same as the 2022 smart goals so go back and listen to episode 88 if you want to hear that in full effect so back to this week's topic about mistakes you may be making as a beginner or even as an experienced metal detectorist. So number one on the list of things people do wrong as metal detectorists, and this is a 3 part or this first point, and that's swing. You're swinging. I don't mean that type of swinging. I mean your swing. First point being, you're lifting your coil at the end of the swing. So from behind, it looks like a U. I have seen so many people, experienced detectors, still doing this. The goal is not to swing your coil, but to swing your hips and keep the coil parallel to the ground. Another thing people are doing in relation to their swing, and sometimes this is calculated as well, but another thing people are doing in relation to their swing is not overlapping the swing to the width of their coil. So they're zigzagging across the field, leaving so much negative space, so many gaps in between the swing. They may finish on time, but they most definitely haven't had 100% coverage of that field. And another, I suppose, element to that is walking too fast when when you swing. If you're walking too fast and you're not overlapping your swings, those gaps that you're creating get larger and larger the faster you walk. So you're covering even less of the field, of your terrain, of your target area than you want to. I have seen so many people do this, so many experienced people online even doing this. And it's a fundamental, basic thing that metal detectors have to get right. Now, if you've only two hours to do a field, drive on and don't walk off the field with the expectation that you have actually had 100% coverage of that field that is absolutely not the case. The next thing people are doing wrong is setting their sensitivity too low. I'm a big fan of sensitivity, even to dictate the size of the targets I want to find. If I don't want to find large targets, I'll turn down my sensitivity even a little bit. However, if you don't know what you're doing, if you've just read the manual, if you're getting interference from your mobile phone in your pocket, from a cell tower, from electrical wires. You do have external environmental factors that warrant you turn down your sensitivity. However, when you go back to another site the next day, your sensitivity is still down too low and you're forgetting to reset your sensitivity because most detectors will retain the settings you've had from the day before. So check your sensitivity before you start to hunt. I have made this mistake myself in the past. The next thing we're doing wrong as metal detectors is setting our discrimination range too wide. If you consider most discrimination, is factory set at minus 9 to maybe plus 1. Some derivative of that based on the conductivity scale. That is to ensure that you're knocking out any iron or ferrous signals. However, you might go, oh, I'm getting a couple of iffy signals in one, two, three on the scale or, or on, on your VDI. And you sort of decide, I'll knock that up. I'll knock that range up. So I discriminate from five down to minus nine or minus ten, whatever your range your detector is set at doing this, you're in danger of knocking out any gold based jewellery because gold will come in around aluminium, which is in the middle of the scale. I've seen people discriminating out pull tabs and if you're long enough in the game you know pull tabs equals gold or gold jewelry anyways at least and that's because aluminium and gold sit side by side on the conductivity scale so and that's why they get pulled in together so be careful with your discrimination range make sure it's set appropriately to what you're hunting for if you're a relic hunter you may only want iron targets and that's perfectly fine but be aware of where your discrimination range is and why you've set it there. Number four in the list is only focusing on the VDI, only focusing on the numbers. You go on Reddit and you see people: "I've got the new Legend, I've got the Simplex, I've got the Equinox 800." What VDI is gold rings? What VDI is silver? However, I believe they're focusing on the wrong data stream or the wrong indicator to what digging. VDI is absolutely a help. But audio is where it's at. A metal detector has been built first and foremost as an audio signal processing machine. So it presents your targets via audio first and then layers on a VDI above that using fast Fourier transforms, all that sort of stuff, right? Audio first, then VDI. If you really want to focus on VDI, you need to do VDI with audio for you to be a highly effective metal detectorist. We talked about learning styles before in the data streams episode. So go back and listen to that if you want to hear that and how learning styles can affect what your preference is, either a visual learner or an audible learner. And that can actually help you in whether you want to dig or no dig a target. Number five, not researching or winging it, just rocking up to a field and going, "Okay, I've got permission here. I'm off on the hunt. That's perfectly fine. However, that field may have seen 20 people in the last hundred years. It may not be part of the natural course that people will be taking over the years. It may have been two, three hundred years ago. And if you're lucky, because that's what happens, if you're winging it, you're relying too heavily on luck for you to be a successful detectorist. So I always say it, research, research, research. That's the only way you can become a successful detectorist. Don't go out winging it just because you have permission on a field there's no guarantee that you're going to find something on it. Look at all the good guys. They always go, oh, yeah, there's room." there was rumours of a Roman villa on this site or there used to be country fairs in this field or on that crossroads over there. They've done their little bit of research and they have decided that this may be a good spot to search. And then they've gone and got permission and then they come back. They're setting themselves up for success. They're not winging it and they're not leaving it up to luck. Number six, not giving yourself enough time. Granted, a 30 minute hunt here and there is fine just to scratch that itch, but if you wanna get out there and wanna be pulling in the finds, you have to spend time doing it. There's no point going out for an hour once a week Thinking that you're gonna be able to put up your pictures on Reddit and all the forms of all the fines and, and wonder how are these guys finding two, three hundred fines in a weekend when I'm only finding ten or fifteen, simply down to time. These guys are spending eight to ten hours in the field and they are digging like maniacs and spending time and have built up that core fitness to keep themselves going all day. If you wanna be in the, in that league, you need to spend time. You need to be in the fields, digging hundreds of holes on the beach, digging hundreds of holes. That's the only way it works. Number seven. Digging everything. Yes, this is a mistake people make. This is advice we give everybody who is only learning their detector, and that is to dig everything. However, we never finish the sentence and say, yeah, dig everything. However, once you know your detector, start paring back on what you dig. The more holes you dig, the less ground you cover. That's a fact. So think about it. Be economical with the holes you dig. So dig holes that have a high probability of having a good target there. Don't dig a hole that you know is large iron, unless you're looking for large iron, of course. You need to be economical with the holes you dig. Don't dig everything unless you're only learning your metal detector. Then, of course, dig everything and learn what's good and what's bad and what signals are good and what signals are bad. But once you learn it, start using that knowledge to reduce how many holes you're digging in a hunt and move forward from that point. Number eight, that's not using headphones. And this probably harks back to the audio signal or audio tones from your metal detector. If you can't hear the tone, you're not going to be able to tell whether it's a good target or a bad target. If you're just solely relying on the VDI You're going to end up taking a lot of iffy targets and a lot of bad signals. You need to marry both the audio and the VDI together to make a good choice. However, if you're not wearing headphones, you're not going to hear the full tone, the full nuance of the signal because you're going to have wind noise. You're not going to hear the threshold. Plus, you're going to piss off the people around you with this stick that you're waving around. That's going beep, beep, beep. You know, people do not understand as much as you understand. So put on your headphones and I would highly recommend Bluetooth or wireless headphones. They were a game changer when they came out. Number nine, not using a pinpointer. You see, some people say, listen, I don't need a pinpointer. My detector has pinpointer mode. I will make do with that. All I'm saying is a pinpointer, just like digging too many holes, a pinpointer speeds up your time to recovery, speeds up the time it takes for you to dig out that hole. If you can get that down to a a fast period of time or to a shorter period of time, that gives you more time to cover more ground. Cover more ground equals more targets, more targets equals more good targets. So get a pinpointer, get a decent pinpointer. Don't buy one off AliExpress. Get one from all the major brands. It's a game changer. It really is. Number 10, I can't believe we're at number 10 already, but number 10 is not taking your trash. And what I mean is if you dig up a trash signal and you can see it's in the hole and you go, oh, that's just tinfoil and just cover your hole over. That is a noob mistake that will come back and haunt you and bite you in the ass the next time you're on that field because you will end up digging that again. So if you have a trash target, dig it out, put it in your bag, take it with you. And if you're so inclined, pick up some rubbish as you go along. It only helps people's perception of what a metal detectorist is about. We're out there, we're cleaning the fields, we're cleaning the beaches, we're taking all this rubbish off. And it's of a benefit to us. We don't want to be digging those signals again next time we're out there. So, if it's crap, dig it out. (laughs) Number 11. And I've seen this advice online as well from some old heads So digging only rock solid repeatable targets, right? Just listen to that for a second and think about how that can affect your success rate. How many times have you heard of stories of people saying, I dug this iffy target and out popped this gold ring, out popped this hammered coin. Rock solid signals are indicative of a more pure metal if it was pure 24 karat gold, it would give a rock solid signal. If it was pure silver, it would give a really high toned rock solid. Si- rock solid. Si- I can't say that. Rock solid signal. <laughs> However. 99.999% totally made up number of targets. Are not pure. They all have some level of zinc, copper, iron, all mixed in together so they're never pure so to only assume that you're only going to dig rock solid targets one means that you're only going to be digging in the top few inches of the soil and two you're going to leave so much stuff behind you so if it has any hint of gold or silver about it and it may be a little bit scratchy or a bit iffy it is worth digging those ones out so dig those ones out what number are we on Number number 12, we'll say, number 12, number 12, not wearing gloves. You just have to cut your hand once on a bit of glass or prick your finger with a needle. Now, I will argue that a glove won't stop a needle from going into your hand, but it most definitely will stop you cutting your hand on an old rusty bit of iron or on a bit of glass so wear gloves it also extends your day you're not wearing away your hands getting blisters digging through the dirt so get some good mechanics gloves they're the job and they'll help you number 13 number 13 not ground balancing and not noise cancelling before you start to hunt it's a no-brainer you're not tuning your detector to the mineralization in the ground and you're not tuning your detector to the electromagnetic interference around you with noise cancelling. It's a must. In fact, it's so much of a must that you should do it nearly every 30 minutes or if you move field or if you move to a different side of the beach or if you change your coil or if just do it 20 every 20 to 30 minutes, just ground balance and noise cancel. It really does make a difference. And then finally, number 14, a few mistakes I have made in the past. One, one (laughs) 13-1. 13-1. <laughs> Wearing steel toe cap boots. I have spent two hours of a day hunting only to realize I was detecting my boots half the time. And it was driving me crazy. So no steel toe cap boots. In that regard, no wedding ring or watch or jewelry. Take it all off you when you go hunting. You have your clod in this hand. You have your pinpointer in this hand. Beep, 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 beep. You're picking up your ring. I've done it so many times speaking of the pinpointer make sure your pinpointer is turned on i have tried to pinpoint without my pinpointer turned on so many times particularly with the pulse dive not so much with the gar cart to the point where i never trusted it and i used to always have to do a test before i used it but yeah make sure your pinpointer is turned on make sure your coil cable is secure to the shaft of your detector you're waving your detector about your coil cable is flapping in the wind. And as you know, any movement in the induction field of your coil will cause that to produce a signal. So make sure your coil cable is firmly secured to your shaft or your detector. And finally, if you're using a hoary knife and you're digging in the hole, don't put your knife under tension. If that tension breaks, that it can fling muck up into your face. Been there, did it. Not nice. Doesn't taste so good. And it's not very flattering when there's people walking around and you've got muck all over your face. So that's my 10 things. I think I've gone 14 or 15 there now, but that's about 10 things not to do as a metal detectorist or 10 mistakes that we're making. Up next, we have a question for the doctor. So this is a question for the doctor, and it comes from Andy in Maryland, USA. And Andy asks, what do I do with my good finds when I pass away? Now, a very bleak topic, if you ask me, but a very pertinent one, I suppose. I've gone through it myself in the last few years, sorting out my father's stuff when he passed away. You know yourself, it's life. But what to do with are good finds when you pass away? Now, I've thought about this and I've thought about it from the point of view of someone who has had to do it in the past. And first of all, if I didn't understand what these good finds were, I would be like, what the hell are these? Is this trash? Is this, is this good stuff? What do I do with this? Is it worth anything? Is it of sentimental value? Do I want to keep it? If I get rid of it, am I doing myself out of an inheritance? Is it worth money? Is it valuable? That's what goes through the head of somebody in the situation. You're putting them in when you pass away and you leave this stuff to them without discussing with them first. So that would be my first thing. If you are going to leave fines behind, your good ones I would have a discussion with the people who you think might like them if they're only going to sell them my gut would tell me I would try and donate them to a local museum that way your memory lives on forever because you've donated all these finds to the museum the museum will have you on record as the finder of these finds. so in a way your legacy lives on in the museum if they want to keep it for sentimental value that's great And you might feel good about that. However, you need to remember that they, too, will be in the same situation, maybe 20 years time, where they have this box of granddad's or grandmom's stuff. And the grandchild is looking at it going, what's all this trash? I don't know what this is. So the context, the providence has been lost on the grandchild. They're going to stick it in a state sale and then it's going to be sold for pennies. So think, think carefully about it you know, leaving this stuff is is nice and, you know, you think that they might want it, I would actually have a conversation and make sure if they understand what it is and whether they really actually want it or not. If they're not sure about any of that stuff, you could do what I would do. And I'd just sell it all and buy a Ferrari. Realistically, you should try and realise some value out of that stuff. If it was me and a museum doesn't want it, I would just sell it all. Realise the value yourself and buy that Ferrari or buy a new detector. Keep a few little bits for yourself that are of sentimental value to you and not of monetary value. Take that with a pinch of salt, I suppose. That's my view on it. So to recap quickly, because I think I rambled a little bit there. Talk to the people who may inherit it. See if they want to keep it and make them understand what value it may have or what sentimental value it may have to you. If they don't want it, offer it to museum the museum doesn't want to sell it because i guarantee you it'll be sold anyways either by the people who inherit it or by their kids or somewhere else along the way so you're better off selling it and realizing the value yourself so downgrade your collection before you die that would be my advice i suppose <laughs> But yeah, another good question for the detector. So if you're not familiar, you can email Doctor Detector at the metaldetectingshowcom and I will answer your questions every week. Thanks Andy, thanks for that question. We have a few more lined up for next week as well so it's going great. Send them in and we'll uh, slowly get through them. I'm going to do one a week because it's all content. Content! I suppose guys, that's it for this week. Hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. If you want to reach out to me, the details are down below like and subscribe get out there good luck and happy hunting and i'll talk to you next week